This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. to the Alienist Recap Podcast. My name is Alex, and I have not read Killed Cars the Alienist. My name is Nick, and I am familiar with The Alienist. I read it in a book. <laughs> Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 7 of the TNT series titled Many Sainted Men. While we will not be spoiling any of the book, and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Episode 7. So pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's or Caleb Carr's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast, much like these people did. This week we had a uh, Signs of Life email from Jim. Jim was worried since we we were late (laughs) with episode five. He said... Have you guys stopped doing the Alienist podcast after episode four? I'm holding off on watching episodes five and six because I enjoyed and needed your commentary to help me understand this show. Please let me know. Thanks. And uh, I so replied. So nice to be needed. Yes. Yes. Thank you for letting us know. It's it's good to feel needed. Yes. Uh, I let him know that episodes five and six were posted that day that he had emailed. And also, uh, if somehow you've gotten to episode seven here. And you didn't realize we posted episode five and six. They should be in the feed at this point. So go back and check that out if you so choose. But thank you, Jim, for writing in and checking in on us. Uh, but we also got an email from Eileen. Eileen wrote in. She said, hi, guys. I'd like to add my two cents. I love your podcast and I love The Alienist. I started to watch the show because of Daniel Brule. He is so good. I love all the actors, too. Your comments about John on the rooftop made me giggle so hard. So hilarious. Some of the stuff you find more negative, I don't really have a negative opinion on. I guess not knowing the book is the main cause for this. I started to read the book some days ago, though, and hope it won't change my enjoyment of the show. Laszlo's slap last episode made me feel uneasy about him, but Nick's word about his reaction made me feel a bit better. Thank you for that. Go apologize, Laszlo. <laughs> Nick, I can relate to you wanting to see your father's reaction to the show. I sat next to my dad when he watched Babylon Berlin for the first time. Mm. Him being into it made me so happy, and my opinion about the show being good were just were confirmed just from his reactions to it alone. I can imagine you don't have much time on your hands, but if you ever want to review another show, I would be interested in your opinion of Dark. Keep up the great work, and thank you for doing the podcast. Greetings from Germany. Uh, Eileen also wrote in a second time and said, I hope it's okay. I write to you again. I forgot to add that my opinion on who the next victim was that was so horribly killed at the feet of the Statue of Liberty. I think it was Rosie. Have a great weekend. Guess what? You were right. More on that in a minute. Uh, so Dark is a show on Netflix mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. at least. It yes. is a German show. Yes. And uh, one that I've been interested in but have not seen as of yet. I've heard it called the German Stranger Things. Oh. Is basically what I have heard from people. But it looks very interesting. I would love to watch it. 
Yeah, I added that one to my queue, and I actually also recently... Oh, I'm sorry. It's a list now. Uh, <coughs> yes. Netflix goes by the list. I also added Babylon Berlin because as I was hearing about it before it came out, I got really excited. And I want to watch that also. I don't even know what that is. Look it up. Looking it up right now. Oh, boy. He's looking it up right now. Uh, I really... So when, when Alex texted me the uh, that email and the screenshot, I got really excited because I really, really love German culture, and I really love German people. And I went to Germany when I was a teenager, and I took four years of German between high school and college. Sadly, most of it has left my memory (laughs) right now. But hopefully, uh, I kind of want to get back into it and start studying it again, because I just think it's a really great language. I think it's a great culture. And um, one thing there, so I watched Mute. This is totally unrelated. But the Duncan Jones, the most recent Duncan Jones film that's on Netflix, and it takes place in Berlin. And it does not shy away from like there are characters in it who full on all they speak is German. And I think that's really cool. It's like really well woven in there. There's Americans, there's Germans, there's, you know, English people, there's people from all cultures. And I think it's really cool that they weren't, they're not just speaking English, you know. There, are, there is yeah, a German it's not character. not like the everybody's learned Chinese in the future because China has taken over kind of thing. Right. I mean, it makes sense because they are in Berlin, but I think it was cool that he didn't just populate the movie entirely with Americans and be like, this is the world or like English people. There are Germans in it. So it feels very natural in that uh, in that regard. But that I got I just liked that. I yeah, that was really refreshing to hear that. And um, yeah, so I'm excited. We have a um, listener in German Germany. <coughs> yes, we've got Netherlands. We've got. Uh, Katrine, Katrine started following me on Twitter, which yeah. I'm really excited about. Awesome. Um, she says she's Danish in her profile, yeah. which I think is cool. But I don't, I don't know where I, she currently. I don't resides. think she's in Denmark right now. Yeah, yeah I don't but, know. Um, that's exciting. So it's cool that we've got so many friends over in Europe right now because you're doing better than us right now. <laughs> <laughs> in most respects. How is it on the outside looking in on this crazy <laughs> fishbowl over here in the states? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. No. I everything Nick just said also laszlo spoke german in this episode which is very cool yes very briefly yeah you know daniel Bruhl. when i heard he was cast i was like i hope he retains some of his germanic nature and and then the show laszlo is not supposed to be so german but like Mm. he's supposed to have a hint of it in his accent and i think the way daniel Bruhl speaks as him is very cool and there's like there's like that kind of slight hint that he's not 100 he's not so new york yeah he's definitely got some foreign background in him and i think uh hearing hearing him speak american essentially (coughs) well kind of yeah and and i mean we'll talk about let me remind me to bring this up again when he when he uh, does speak that line okay yeah it's pretty early on (coughs) but uh anyway lovely to hear from you i'm sure we will watch dark at some point and yeah i've actually been kind of thinking that maybe Never mind. I'll save that idea for later. Okay. Because there's a thing on this show, on the, all of our shows, where if we if we say something we want to do, it never happens. It does not. It just happen. evaporates. It guarantees that it doesn't happen. Yes. So I can't commit it to uh, the recorded form. I will say, Eileen mentioned starting to read the book, and hopefully, it doesn't color her opinions. I don't think it necessarily works that way. Uh, the negative aspects that the things that are negative to me that I get disappointed about are typically Nick explaining them in a very cool way that it could have been based on the book. (laughs) And then Nick's ideas and thoughts and feelings about how things could have been come from him being a continued reader of the book over several years. Yes. And so I think the idea that you might experience them, experience them both on the same at a similar time and, and at a same way, you'll certainly compare and be like, I like this better in the book. I like this better in the show. But yes, yeah, it absolutely. won't be quite as uh, 
And I think that's the thing is that of the things that are disappointing in the show, I don't think any of them are like ruining the show for either of us. No, no, not at all. It's just a lot of the nits that we pick sound worse than than they actually are. They get kind of amplified by the fact that we take some time to dissect and talk about them. So I wouldn't say that um, the, the neg- a lot of the negative opinions that I've had about the show have been more about choices with filmmaking rather than the book itself. And then yeah, I think a lot, a lot more of Nick's opinions have been based on book things, but they're not even necessarily like, this is ruining it for me. It's just like, oh, this is a bummer. I liked it better in the book. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a balance between expectation and reality that I think inevitably my prior knowledge of the book is going to kind of color certain aspects of the show sometimes for better like sometimes there are certain things in the show that i think are really well done yeah what's interesting for you eileen is that you have seen these characters as portrayed by these actors first so i wonder if and i don't know how how much of a reader you are or aren't but if you're going to carry their appearances and affectations and stuff into the book with you and imagine them or if they will as described on the page, conjure something else different in your mind. Because I know next time I read it, I'm really excited because I'm going to kind of, I think I'm going to take a little bit of Daniel Brühl with me, but I think pretty much everything else will remain as I've always, 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 as I've always imagined it. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, Luke Evans, you can't resist Luke Evans, so he'll probably come along for the ride too because he seems like he's fun to hang out with. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the way, I, but also I've been reading it for so long that I have, I have very permanent ideas in my head of what all these people look like and how they yeah. carry themselves. So, um, it's easy to kind of divorce and understand that this is a different medium, it's a different story, but I do get confused sometimes when really killer story material that would be great on screen just gets ignored. Doesn't quite so, make it. Yeah. But hey, that's the way it goes. Yeah. That's an adaptation. If it was, you know, shot for shot, sentence for sentence, frame for frame, I probably would like it even less because, you know, like if you watch the Watchmen movie, for example, the first third is like straight out of the book. And in some ways it's really awesome. And in some ways it lets you down because it just can't quite live up to it. Mm-hmm. But then when the movie deviates, it deviates in a way that is absolutely for the worse. So when you adapt, you have to play to the strengths of mm-hmm. the medium. And if you don't, yes. then you're leaving something on the table. Right. I think so. And that's kind of where <coughs> I think a lot of the, a lot of the quote unquote gripes come from. Yeah, definitely. But but keep us posted on your journey as you're reading it. You know, I'm, if you, I doubt you'll finish it before the show ends because we've only got a few weeks left. But if you do, uh, let us know. Yeah, just mark book spoilers in the subject <coughs> so I know not to read. Yeah. So you probably shouldn't at this point. Let the show unfold. Don't yeah. try, don't try to beat it to the finish line. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I think that is it for feedback this week. But please keep them coming. We like hearing from everybody. Having a couple per episode is great. But uh, let's start with the teaser here. John tries and fails to draw an illustration of the killer based on Stevie's description for the umpteenth time. And as he bickers with Stevie over the details, he and Laszlo argue about whether or not he's listening as tensions rise. Stevie breaks up the fight, noting the argument will not be how they find the killer. Mm-hmm. The team gather at the morgue to get the autopsy report on the latest victim, Rosie. Rosie's genitals and right hand were removed and there were lacerations on her throat and chest. It turns out that uh, this time her heart had also been removed. Teddy Roosevelt mentions this looks similar to mutilated, mutilated corpses he saw out west uh, that were done by Native Americans. Laszlo directs the Isaacsons and Sarah to re-examine the files from the asylum survey to look for any guests with a connection to the west, not just natives as of yet. 
And finally, Laszlo asks for a moment alone and seemingly retraces the killer's cut from uh, Rosie's chest and then punctures, Ro- punctures Rosie with a scalpel, presumably attempting to feel how it felt to mutilate a corpse. He apologizes to Rosie in German. Uh, so John's an illustrator for a reason. <laughs> Is it a good reason? Because he's got nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, uh, we haven't seen a successful drawing as of yet. It still feels like John is making art rather than mm-hmm. he's a much more artistic uh, artist than a forensic artist. Which but, is so funny because he doesn't seem like an artist at all. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem to have any artistic inclinations or even lifestyle mm-hmm. in way. I mean, he kind of he kind of practices a, a, a less than conventional lifestyle, which I guess is one thing, but. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> the uh this scene was kind of cool because I think Laszlo was really 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 trying to apply his Hildebrandt starling onto John and John is open to it but he's not quite unlocked the door in his own mind. Like he thinks he's doing it but he's not. Yeah. Which is funny because I think Laszlo is very much the same way and Laszlo in this regard is seeing himself and he's getting frustrated because he knows he's the same way and he's just taking it out on John. Yeah. And John is not operating on that level, but he's just annoyed. Yeah. Well, I, and it's, it's interesting because I think John is, is there like, Hey, Laszlo, listen to the art of this. And, and, and Laszlo's like, Hey John, listen to the facts here. Mm. And, it's the truth i guess is somewhere in between the two like well and and john probably spent he has spent enough time probably dealing with actual murders but then even like romanticized murder like in in terms of i mean he doesn't seem much of a reader but he definitely comes from that kind of creative perspective where in his mind the killer is a big tall brawny man and like he's painting the picture in his mind of what seems possible and what kind of big angry brute would hurt boys when Laszlo's saying the reality is is potentially not it's like that. you walking in with your own description of the characters john is walking in with that's true own. yep but and, and i feel like john john's like asking stevie questions about the lighting for some reason he's like are you sure that it wasn't just you were that particular and stevie's like not thinking about that at all because he's never right which is a valid point from John's perspective. Like these are considerations that other people don't think about. Yeah. But if you're in, if you work in a visual medium, you understand that lighting can be a huge impact on how someone Your looks. Your perspective on someone's face right. and the contours of everything. And John also probably knows that people's memories get. I can't think of the word. You get distorted. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. You have your your brain will will reduce details to like broader strokes for in order for you to kind of process it. Yeah. Like they say. A lot of times eyewitness accounts of like car accidents are completely factually inaccurate and yet people believe mm-hmm. like the oh the car was red when in reality it was green because you're you just can't recall on that level of detail. Well, and the the science of the study basically being like memory recall each time you are remembering the memory you're rewriting that memory anyway. Like and I think there's something else at play here that because Stevie's a kid, John's not giving him full credit in his his capacity to observe and interpret and relate back. And I think because Laszlo works with children, he's also kind of saying like, Stevie is telling you, you're not listening. Like Laszlo is used to taking, to having the backs of kids when adults won't listen to them. And John is kind of unconsciously, I think, thinking Stevie can't remember right because he's just a kid. Yeah. And so that we kind of have this, 
familiar battle that I think Laszlo also feels like he's going to kind of have someone's back and say, the child is relating their account of the incident. You, the adult, are not listening to him, which yeah. is pretty much Laszlo's life in like the courtroom. And I think there's a little bit of that at play here too. Yeah, John, I think John is so focused on like making a portrait of the killer that he's not really meeting Stevie's account in a way that would allow Stevie to say, that is what I saw. Mm-hmm. We need to see someone like this. Right. John wants like the stated this is this person he wants it to fit the profile yeah. that he has same with the silver smile like, yeah it's almost comical in the last episode when stevie saw the killer and he comes running up to him, the first thing he says did he have a silver smile and <laughs> he's just like tell me this <laughs> <laughs> no are you sure <laughs> uh yeah so the morgue scene oh man yes so good i mean not but you know <laughs> satisfying from a reader perspective because for once Roosevelt felt like Roosevelt when someone questions something he's like nope they're with me like he just acted like he owned something which was kind of cool rather than being a little timid or you know unsure he was like nope they're with me step stand down yeah and uh, I thought that was neat well in his worldly worldly uh country experience the idea that he's like been other places than new york and like seen things and experienced exactly things. we finally touched on some of roosevelt's frontier background and i'm fairly certain he is the one in the book that makes that connection and i think it's the same way it's like an offhand remark he just kind of says it he's standing there like oh, sure looks like an, an engine took care of him and lazel's like he'll say what <laughs> and kind of does the same thing he doesn't this so th- this was very exciting to yeah. see roosevelt actually involved in the investigation in more than just like a, I'm sweeping over your tracks kind of way mm-hmm. actually contributing yeah was very cool for sure uh <clears throat> the so it was Rosie obviously you see Marcus yes. is taking it hard because he was just the last one conversing with Rosie pretty much the first seeing Marcus affected by one of these for once was interesting it was yeah Lucius is kind of the only one who stays so like cool and, and clinical clinical yeah um one, I have a small beef with this, though. Nobody's talking about the Statue of Liberty, the significance of that location. And John hits the nail on the head for once when they say, oh, he only got one eye. What's up with that? And John's like, he must have been interrupted. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, finally, John's, yeah, they, John's they, got a good theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the fact that it's in such a public place, I mean, that fits the bill, but it's, you know, it feels like something that they highest profile location. Yeah. But also the significance of the statue of Liberty. This is one thing that's bothering me in each episode when they have found a body or are dealing with a body. They aren't talking about the significance of the location so much. They kind of did a little bit with the castle garden one where they're saying, Oh, it's, it's, it's elevated. Yeah. But this is a whole nother level. And there, there's not, no one even says to someone else in the room, hey, what's up with the Statue of Liberty? Like, that's a hike to get someone there and then leave. Like, yeah. It's not easy. You yeah. can't just walk. So, no. The fact that nobody brings it up is strange to me. Yeah. I, and that's one of those things. It feels like they've kind of. <coughs> they've done a thing where they are maybe leaving bread, bread, com- bread, bread crumbs like along the way of like we may come back to this later as the epiphany moment it's true but and they seem to have a slight habit of in the next episodes kind of circling back on some details yes. as though they're gathering them but we just don't see any of that it, it's weird it, it's it's not particularly satisfying that they're just like lay it out there and then in the next episode somebody might say so statue of liberty 
So the one thing I, I guess I want to hit this now just because I'm curious, although we will get to it in an act or two. The detail in the letter that they kept missing was the the red like a like a red engine line. Is that what you were? Yes. Yeah. So and the, and it's like yes, they did eventually get to it, but it wasn't a piece of information that spurned them to go and figure something out. It was right, which is funny because it's a very particular phrase. So you yeah. would think if they were paying more attention, they would look at that and say, "Nobody talks like that here." <laughs> like this, this is distinct. Yeah. And in finally, I mean, I was so glad when they got a lot of the stuff in this episode. I was very glad they got to, but I think, um, anyways, in in regard to this scene, the very last thing, I think Laszlo, because Ernst Lohmann is his is his name, and he is presumably from Ger- German parents. Yeah. So there's kind of a connection there where I think Laszlo kind of takes this one a little bit more personally as well, and thus he apologizes to him in German, and I think he's partially apologizing for what he did with the. You know, trying to recreate the sensation, but I think it's also just a general like. I'm sorry, we failed you. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. yeah, it was you. You were alive last night. Exactly. Kind of thing. And and we were talking to you. Like yeah. you directly interacted with a member of this investigation, and we couldn't save you. And yeah. I think that was a good moment and something we haven't gotten enough of. I don't think there there hasn't really been enough looking these deaths in the face and kind of really thinking about and meditating on what that means because yeah. these are <clears throat> these are like the poorest saddest kids and we we've seen them in terrible conditions but as far as like actually just like you see a little bit of it with mrs santarelli just that hysteria of having your child killed but i think it's it's such a serious thing and the show has kind of been like another body okay what does this mean for the investigation and while the investigation is the main thrust of the series and it's what's keeping things moving i think taking a beat to acknowledge these these kids is uh, people are dying and yeah exactly and not just people but people who never had a chance yeah. like they they didn't even have a chance and they're just literally having their lives robbed from them and it's yeah. so it's just so horrifying so I really liked this moment when Laszlo was like you know give us a moment alone and I was like what the hell does he want to do that for because I was wondering like what is Me he doing too, but yeah. but the apology was so nice and I was like oh like this is something pretty he obviously wanted his kind of weirdo moment of like I want to see how this feels because he's trying to build this profile in his mind again there's a lot like Hannibal in a lot of ways yeah watch Hannibal if you haven't it's great but also that little apology I thought that was like a better moment I was hoping, I was kind of hoping for a little more out of the apology. Like, I kind of saw it coming. Like I think it's said. the best apology Laszlo could muster. And that's probably completely true. <laughs> and he can't apologize to living people. Like, but, he has to do it to <laughs> someone who can't hear him say, I'm sorry. The, the, it, that's what a hard time he has. It's a, I want to see it hit them more. Like, exactly. Marcus was good. and and But I feel like that's maybe the only real reaction we've had since maybe john seeing georgia on the bridge Mm -hmm. and and so i kind of want i want it to hit laszlo harder than it has and we'll see if it does but yeah i'm almost i almost feel like i expect the large emotional reactions out of laszlo from this kind of stuff not him being angry with sarah exactly yeah he's he's blown up at sarah but the the fact that there's another dead child in front of him he hasn't like you know, like how many more is it going to be? Right. Something of that sort, but I don't know. Anyway, some nits. Yep. Found Pick some, some nits. Uh, act one, John and Laszlo fight their way out of the morgue through the riot to hitch a ride with Paul Kelly, who has a message for Teddy Roosevelt to stop closing the brothels or there will be more than the riot there was today. 
Laszlo takes the fall for Teddy, and Kelly warns again that they are fighting a monster that will devour them before they find the child killer. Captain Connor is baffled at the latest murder, revealing to Chief Burns that an accident happened with Willem, and he has been dealt with. Burns explains that they work for the rich, and if they don't do as they say, then they're as good as dead. Sarah adds Indian massacres to the chalkboard and works with the Isaacsons to pour over information obtained from the insane asylums as they find a horrid description of the mutilations of bodies at Little Bighorn matching the killer's M.O. Laszlo and John stop by the National History Museum to chat with a native expert, and they learn that the Sioux believed a man's spirit, or Negi, entered the spirit realm similar to their actual body's condition. Destroying organs meant that they couldn't be used in the afterlife, but this mutilation wouldn't be done to a child, as that would be shameful to label a child a threat. Meaning the killer must be emulating Native American mutilations on these children. Laszlo recalls the words dirtier than a red engine from the letter sent to Mrs. Santorelli, and he posits that the killer likely observed a native mutilation as a child, potentially out west. And this is another piece of evidence that Willem is not at fault, as he had never been out west. All right, uh, Paul Kelly. Yeah. I don't like Paul Kelly in this show. He's he, kind of a dork. Yeah. He's kind of a nerd. I kind of expect him to be played by uh, David Krumholtz. <laughs> like the, this guy is like the poor man's David Krumholtz, which I don't know what that means. But on top of that, he's so like he's just close enough that I'm seeing like Bernard from the Santa Claus. Yes, that's great. And it's so it, which it, is always what I think of when I think of David Krumholtz. Yeah. So I can't I can't take him seriously at no. all. And he's supposed to be this like menacing. He's pretty miscast. Yeah. I mean, when you read the books, uh, if you read the books, he what I picture is like a Jason Isaacs kind of type. Because they, they talk about who is uh, Lucius Malfoy's dad, if you're not familiar. Yep. He's also in the wonderful Kurt Russell flick, Soldier. And he's on the new Star Trek series. Yes, he's he is awesome. He's mm-hmm. a really good follow on Twitter, too, by the way. He's really fun on oh, Twitter. I haven't. I don't think I've seen any oh, of this Oh, he's stuff, a blast. But. Anyway, um, he Paul Kelly is, is described. He, he's supposed to be very, like, uh, he has black Irish features as... Uh, I remember that that his description has always stood out in my mind as as uh, John calls him in the book. He is supposed to be Irish, and the portrayal of him in the show he's very Italian to me. Yes, and but he's not like scary Italian. He's just he looks like Laszlo could beat him up, mm-hmm. and it's like very. He seems almost like the mob version of uh, Willem, like just like somebody who inherited this role, yeah. not somebody who built it. Yeah, like Biff is better than Paul Kelly. Yeah. in this show. Yeah. So I don't really dig that because, I mean, the moment in the book, this moment in the book, actually, when the riot is going on and he rolls up in the carriage and he pops the door open and he says, hey, get in. And John and, John and Laszlo look at each other and like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal because he's scary. He's the kind of guy that can make you disappear and nobody will question it. And this nerd looks like he works in a barbershop sweeping the floor. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And yeah. even when he delivers good dialogue, he has some good lines. He does. But they're just dorky <laughs> just dork is the only word i could think of to describe it's got a very flat affectation too yeah, there's he just no doesn't real look, like, he doesn't look cool mm-hmm. like so this show needs more ted levine's and by that i mean like <laughs> actors of that caliber that have that look like okay character actors which is a, a well-worn term but give me the jason isaac types or someone like that or the the ben mendelsons or you know guys like that who yeah. can can own a scene just by being there and not saying shit like yeah. even the gary oldman like people like that they just have presence and this guy opens the door he's like yeah get in and you're just like oh lord here's this nerd come on laszlo let's dump his books and get out of here 
It's just kind of a bummer. And that that's the way this show is, though, with these bit parts of these small yeah. roles. They either nail the casting or they just drop the ball so hard. And yeah. it's just really polarizing sometimes to have like, because like Biff is really good. Mm-hmm. And I would have almost rather had him as Paul Kelly, even though he fits the description for Biff so well, which we haven't seen Biff in a while. Like, it kind of bums me out because yeah. he's great. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad you also feel the same way because yeah, watching him, I'm just, just like, oh, let's get to the next scene. Yeah. Kind of a nebbish, like, I don't know. Just yeah. Like a, yeah. I am glad they, they do identify, though, that he is the one who who stirs up the mobs to get him out there and get him angry and kind of cause a scene. Yeah. That, that is kind of what happens in the books, too. He does kind of have the ear of some local, like, blue-collar and, like, low-class people because they just look up to him. Because I think he kind of came up from those ranks, too. So he kind of has that edge, too. Yeah, he, well, he mentions that his children are the right, exactly. You know, the the, the poor people of of these districts, basically. Yeah, I think he says the five cities, the five points. I think five points. Yeah, okay, exactly. yeah, not five boroughs, but he says five. The ch- children of the five points are his. So, children. see that 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 reminds me perfectly. The five points, uh, gangs of New York. Daniel Day Lewis's character, uh, Bill the Butcher perfect example of what paul kelly should be this kind of guy where people see him and they walk the other way because they're like oh shit i don't want to cross him yeah and this guy just yeah he's on his way to choir rehearsal <laughs> no offense to people who are in choir uh um, yeah anyway my two cents on paul kelly he's such a great character in the book too he doesn't do shit he's barely in it but he yeah. just he has that he's got pre- the menacing he's jason he's- isaacs man like <laughs> I, that's what i picture when he pops up in that carriage door i could see him with that steely gaze and being like get in and you're just like no please don't just shoot me (laughs) kill me now (laughs) uh captain connor and chief burns talking in the bar it was great great scene ted levine these two together are so good yes see david wilmot is a perfect character actor description because he just has this look and this Mm -hmm. vibe and he's just great and ted levine is so perfect i wish that uh you know, as I was watching this scene, I was actually thinking, is he secretly playing Teddy Roosevelt? <laughs> Did he read for Roosevelt? And they were like, we love you. You're just a little too old. Because he just has the, the complete look. Like, if he yeah. just had the little spectacles, he'd be like, oh, my God, it's him. And he, ha- he just has this, this, this anger simmering right, be- right behind his eyes where you're just like, oh, man, it's great. Yep. It's great stuff. Yeah, he's awesome. I also think his, him with his hair slicked down and his... His mustache especially reminded me of Jim Varney. And I was like, man, Jim Varney would have just nailed this role. <laughs> it would have been real silly. But have you ever seen him when he was on? Uh, I think he was on Roseanne. I think it was Roseanne that he was on for like a handful of episodes. I've oh, never seen him on anything not Ernest related. Not Ernest. Okay. Yeah. He, you should Google it right now because you'll just start laughing. I think it's Roseanne. He played like this like rich, like aristocrat kind of guy and he has like a smoking jacket on and like this crazy mustache and he looks so good and that's what ted levine in this show really reminds <laughs> that's me of. incredible <laughs> isn't that funny oh man another side of the the poor one out the very talented jim varney poor one out yeah anyway uh yeah um i don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about connor and burns other than uh i don't know connor just kind of being like there was an accident and he's been dealt with. <laughs> I like that Burns is very much like, no, I'm sorry. Connor has made it very apparent that he is a henchman. Yeah. Like any sort of ownership that he had over any situation before, we know now that he is purely an order taking goon mm-hmm. and Connor or Burns is pretty much keeping him around 
in the unlikely event that he will still have some use, but I think you're expecting him at any moment now to just be thrown off of him. Yeah, he's somewhere. he's presented himself as enough of a liability that he exactly. needs to. Yeah. Uh, Sarah and the Isaacsons looking at the at the notes. She writes something on the chalkboard. Mm-hmm. Um, Without permission. Yes. Um, the description of of uh, little bighorn kind of the the interaction between the isaacsons and sarah it's very good it's quite good sarah's like don't look at me like that <laughs> don't look don't at him look like at that him. Either. yeah exactly either it, it was just kind of lucius is so he's extremely timid about everything yes. and just kind of yeah and he it's i think simultaneously is the most considerate but by being so overly considerate he's rude like he <laughs> yeah. he is the one who consistently, like he's the one who had the the weaker sex line and that yep. kind of thing. And he thinks he's being nice and he's trying to spare someone's feelings, but he doesn't understand that she has signed the permission slip. Yep. She's here to play, yep. like let her play. And God, it must be so annoying being Sarah all the time. <laughs> like this episode especially makes it so clear that like, man, it is just annoying when everyone is just looking at you like, hey, what's up? Or yep. like, you, you can go or you don't need to be, you can be spared these core What details. is it that you do? Hello <laughs> down there. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, the description though, of Little Bighorn was yes. great. Yeah. Uh, because if you are part of the American public school system, your perception of a lot of his historical events are that they were wonderful, glorious. We triumphed. <laughs> yes. Or even when we lost, brave men gave their lives so that things could be better for the rest of us. And when you hear to the extent at which Custer's body was just mutilated, yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know how factual it is, but it would not surprise me if it were true or even worse. And it's funny because General Custer's a big deal in Michigan. Yeah. And he is known for screwing up so bad that he got all of his dudes killed. And <laughs> it's funny because they have a statue of him here in uh, his hometown, which is in Downriver, Michigan. Uh, and it's just really funny because I, I've seen it and I've been like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This guy, <laughs> yeah. Even well, even even, and he did have a lot of like he did have a very like good military record for whatever that you know. Take that as you will. He just it's unfortunate because any good he did in his life, which he did, is just overshadowed by the fact that everyone knows he's like history's biggest loser, <laughs> and even kids know that. Like you learn, General Custer got all his men killed, and yep. hearing just how just how terrible the the aftermath is, I think, is a pretty important thing, and it's cool that the show goes there with it with mm-hmm. the description for sure uh anything else about the isaacsons no they're just great yep they're really cool i wasn't sure in the first episode because i was like what are these guys doing here so soon but yeah they're they're very good uh the the nerd at the national history museum the native nerd which one? Oh, the younger one yeah okay so these are two characters that i think they did really well with okay and the more senior guy is someone laszlo knows from sometime yeah back in the day which they don't they kind of quickly gloss over that he kind of knows laszlo they're just kind of like walking with him and he's like hey but when they make this connection in the book or this possible connection that okay maybe there's something involving like native americans he right away is like i'm gonna go talk to my bud down at the natural history museum and uh, i believe he does refer him to the younger the younger guy who's a little bit more plugged in uh, with the exact customs and written that sort of thing so this i thought that was a really good scene yeah and it 
it really, I guess I can't speak for, for people who haven't read the book, but I think it really opens up some doors for some thoughts. It feels a little exposition dumpy to me. Okay. Just in the sense of like, this is the reasoning for everything. And I understand that you get that twist at the end of like, well, he's clearly not a native because he's he's doing this to children and that's that's shameful, you know? Mm-hmm. I get so so it's this weird facsimile of what the natives do. But for some reason, just the way that this all kind of comes out, I don't know. It it doesn't necessarily uh it it, it it feels like an info dump. Okay. I don't think it's bad. I thought the dude was really nerdy and that was funny. But <laughs> he's very excited. Yeah. Uh but it it it, it just kind of uh I was like, wow, this is a lot of great information. And then I was like, wait, this all is just right here, right now happening. The reason but, I think it works really well, it's not too dissimilar from the book, but I feel like in real life, if you had this connection and you went to this person, this is exactly what would happen. Yeah. Because he is an expert and he would say, okay, you feed me these facts. Here's what I think. And I think it feels like pretty realistic police work. And I think because neither Laszlo nor John are any expert at all in this field, I think it's okay to have a lot dumped on them because they have no means of knowing this information already because that's then, pretty fair and i think that the scene worked a lot better than a lot of other crime procedural shows where you do get these info dumps but in those shows you have literally scene after scene after scene after scene of info dumps where they just go to this expert it is literally procedural right yeah. and and at this time it gets a little a little bit of leeway too because in this era you don't have wikipedia you can't look up these sort of customs. There, there are probably aren't even that much information in libraries because you're not that far removed from, you know, colonization. Really, that's fair. I guess, I guess maybe I am being colored by my perception of watching Bones and House and seeing <laughs> right, people. Yeah, yeah go, shows go. that are, are a little offensive. With uh, yeah, yeah, just, just kind of even just being like, all right, you know, uh, just point A to point B. This person gets us here, and this fact gets us there, and. Oh, you didn't tell me that part of the and just kind of I it, it feels like this is certainly the most procedural that the show maybe gets and yes. it stuck out to me but after hearing you talk about it they arrive at it in a very organic way. It's a it's pretty close to the book because it's something that they know nothing about. The only one who does is Roosevelt yeah. and he's the reason that he's they're kind of like, "Oh, I saw that." Yeah, but he wouldn't tell you why. He yeah. would probably come at it from the perspective of, oh, I've seen those mutilations, but it's just the act of savages. It's just people being brutal. Whereas this, this uh, I forgot his name. Excuse me. I think I might have the hiccups coming on. But anyway, um, <laughs> I forgot his name. But he, he explains the reasoning and the thinking behind it. And and that's very that's pretty much straight out of the book. And I always thought that was really fascinating because like the as as gross and, and terrifying as it is, like there is a reason in the culture that someone would mutilate their enemy's body because yeah. in their belief system it's gonna impair their ability to get to the afterlife. And you know, that's in their mind it's just a tactic, you know? It's not it's not a, a, a desecration so much, even though that's how we perceive it, and objectively it kind of is. 
I find it interesting that the uh, like the the expert mentions that you wouldn't do it to children because it means you'd see the children as a threat, and I I take that as a threat to whether or not you yourself make it to the afterlife. Like these these natives are disabling these people's ability to get to the afterlife because it gives more room for them to make it themselves or. Because it's supposedly a perilous journey to the afterlife in the Sioux beliefs, at least from what the show says. Yeah. So I wasn't like when when he said that you'd be kind of taking the child as some kind of threat to you. I was like, what exactly does that mean? And I I think he means like an enemy. Like if you if you're going to treat. I know he said threat, but I think in the book it's almost a little more described as like that's something you do to to an, a nemesis or an enemy, somebody that you, you want to hurt them even beyond the fact that they're dead. Which, okay, I guess that's fair too because if you're thinking about natives and the fact that they're rightfully angry at the fact that a bunch of white dudes walked in and were like, this is ours now. Right. I guess they would want to mutilate to the extent like you'd be pretty damn angry at the fact that your land is no longer your land. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that maybe that's more where it's coming from. I was thinking, I, I guess I was thinking of it as a, as a more like, why would they want to mutilate these people? Like, why why would you want to impair somebody's, what does it matter to you whether or not somebody gets to the afterlife? Sure. But if the natives are literally so angry and... Yeah, I, that, I mean, in that culture, the, the, the idea being that the afterlife is full of, like, pleasures, basically. Yeah. And I like when he describes, uh, what is his phrasing? When he's like, it would, it would, it would block your ability to enjoy... Did you say like copulation or something like that? Yeah, I think so. I I can't. I didn't. I didn't write it down. Okay, it was just funny because John's like, "Oh, you can do that in the afterlife." <laughs> and they're, they're kind of like, "Yeah, if if you know what else are you gonna?" I can't imagine there's there's much else to do. And John kind of has this look in his face like, mm, <laughs> hmm. "Sounds it great." Doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> I give that a yeah. try myself. Yeah, I I made a note about that. It said something about John. John enjoying ghost sex. <laughs> He's kind of into this idea that oh, in the, even in the afterlife, I can do that. So right. saucy. Yes. Um, anyway, I, I liked it. I thought it was a cool, it was a good scene and, and it reminded me a lot of the book. Like this is a, this is a chunk a, a moment where it felt like they were like, okay, the book gets it right. Let's just do that. Yeah. I like it more after, after hearing some of your, your thoughts on it as well. Um, and then finally Laszlo making the connection to the letter dirtier than a red engine something you were waiting for so glad yeah i truthfully i wasn't sure if they were going to do that if they were going to connect those dots but i'm really glad they certainly did uh all right act two laszlo goes to visit cyrus at the hospital and his niece is there it turns out laszlo paid for her education and she wants to pay him back but laszlo refuses she chastises laszlo for cyrus's condition thinking laszlo could have let him go a long time ago and that his employment is more like slavery She's still intent to pay Laszlo for his loan, and a frustrated Laszlo uh, at home attempts to play piano with his right hand, but is too weak to make a proper sound on the instrument. Sarah finds a fourth patient that came from the West to St. Elizabeth's, uh, uh, an insane asylum in the area. This one was sent to Blackwell Island, which is right in the city, and should have been uh, should have some record of a Rudolph Bunzel. Laszlo brings Cyrus home to Mary's room for his recovery, and he takes the opportunity to apologize to Cyrus and Stevie for taking their loyalty and trust for granted. But Cyrus mentions that he doesn't have to apologize, and Stevie partly reluctantly agrees. 
Finally, John sits down to have an egg cream and reattempt the illustration of the killer when a figure smothers him from behind with a chloroform rag, and the store owner does nothing to stop it. Uh, Laszlo and Cyrus's niece. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that's not that's fresh, and uh, I thought watching watching women put Laszlo in his place is so satisfying in this show because he. Yeah, he's such a complex character. It's even more so in the show. I think the show has taken him to another level. Um, and, you know, I think he has a lot of respect for women. I think more so than a lot of other characters do. And I think he understands that they're capable of so much more than, than society is offering them. And he... He just gets he just gets his his shit thrown like in his a, face by them all the time. It's though. a it's like a weird he, but he's doing this weird reverse sexism, mm-hmm. almost kind of in, in the way of like I don't know, like like he he is he's attempting to single handedly right the wrongs of of society in his interactions with these women, but the kind of pretty You're plainly he's, he's taking too heavy of a hand rather a than, little bit rather than helping empower people he's just trying to do it himself yes that's interesting yes because the idea that he's like oh you don't have to pay that back and she's like of of course i'm going to like letting her not even letting allowing her to take that power back in her life of like this is something that i did for me Rather than having it be a gift from Laszlo, right? And I and it's funny because I can see his point of view. He's like, I want to give you this gift of education. Yeah, but he's not looking at it from her point of view. Of thank you for the loan. Yeah, I will pay you back with the education, and I will I will be debt free. Yeah, I I will owe you nothing. Exactly, yeah. and which is kind of what she reduces it to in the end because she doesn't like him. Yep, and she doesn't think what he's doing is right, and. You know, he doesn't, I don't think he necessarily bothers to put himself in someone else's shoes, really, ever. He, I, I don't think he can't. It's that, or I don't think he can. It's, it's the idea that he, like, I feel like he is probably, like, if he were to be evaluated, he would be somewhere on that spectrum of, like, being unable to actually relate to other humans in the way Mm -hmm. that. I think he really wants to, though. And he, he, and I think he thinks he is in his own way. Well, and, and maybe that's the that's the best you'll ever get out of Laszlo. I see it as like like maybe from. I mean, he's an alienist because he didn't because he can't relate to people. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like he's spent his life trying to figure out other people because it doesn't come easy to him. It's not a thing that like you and I can intuit things from from body language and and just kind of little social cues but maybe that's not something that laszlo actually has access to or understands it's or funny realizes. because i think he does that's what makes him so good but he only can do it when he's examining people mm. when he's got when he's when he's on so to speak yeah so when he gets into that mode and when he's working he's able to to see and he's like sherlock basically and i'm speaking especially about the benedict cumberbatch portrayal of sherlock where he's able to understand so much about people and yet just in a normal social when it when with respect to himself and his own interpersonal relationships and people who should be his friends and family he can't necessarily apply it which is like in a way of the ultimate kind of tragedy (laughs) because he's so good at it and yet he can't just do it he can't take his own medicine exactly he needs to be working in order for it to make any sense yeah 
which is uh and i and he really i think he's really especially in these last episodes especially in this episode he's really yearning i think yeah and every time he kind of starts to make some progress he just like gets angry and kind of lashes out yeah but um it's uh i thought it was a really good scene and yeah i think what like i said continually watching these women put lazlo in his place is really fun for sure he you know there there is something though and i think maybe you know what what causes him to to kind of lash out at sarah initially and throw the chalk or whatever i think he pushed the books everywhere in the show yeah um is the idea that if a woman was present in this killer's life they wouldn't be doing the things they were doing and that is like a huge exclamation out of him and nobody really follows up with that they're not like well what the hell was that all about yeah and i think that's something to kind of keep in mind too because He's got these complex relationships with all the women in this series. And if you notice, most of the men that have problems with him, they either just dismiss it or they get over it. Like John continually, like Laszlo says, keeps coming back because John is also kind of lost in his own way and Laszlo is kind of his BFF. But, um, you know, they just kind of brush it off or say, like, you're an asshole. And then they come back the next day and say, I have a new clue. And then they fight or whatever. But with the women, it's, it's a much more different relationship especially with his niece and, and with Sarah and with, especially with, with Mary, <coughs> excuse yeah. me, but, uh, the mother of, uh, the Zweig children. Yep. And, um, I think there's one more. It's kind of slipping out of my memory. Anyway, it's not important. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, any thoughts on him trying to play piano? Oh man, that was a bummer. Yeah. That was sad. It, the worst part was like just how he has to use his left hand to kind of provide enough strength to his right hand to drop it up and down on the keys. Like mm-hmm. it's really not good for much more than like propping open a book or yeah. like occasionally moving things out of the way. Yeah. They did a good job though. I was actually wondering how they made his arm seem so small in his, in his shirt sleeve. It was pretty cool. They just stuffed Kleenex in his left arm. Maybe that's what I was wondering. I was like, <laughs> did they make him work out only his left arm for, <laughs> for a few months? Just get jacked in the left arm, yeah. but, you know, keep the right arm. We need you eating protein for gains, but we really only want it going to the left. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about that. Yeah. But it, it was uh, it was very effective. And I, well, you I know, mean, he's, he, I think he's kind of trying to see what he can do on his own. And Cyrus's main function in the house, other than just kind of general stuff, I think is he, he's a piano player and he's a singer. Yeah. We haven't really heard him sing in the show, but in the book, he's, he's sort of... I don't know how to describe what you would call the, what that person would be, but he's not like a he's not like a butler. He's kind of a chauffeur, I guess, but he's also just kind of an entertainer. Yeah, for for lack a of a bard term. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and you know, and, and there's a lot of beautiful moments in the book where they're really stressed out about everything with the investigation. And sometimes Laszlo or Cyrus will just go to the piano and sit down and sing something and play, and everyone just gets like a little bit at ease, re-energized because they feel of. like they're reminded that there's beautiful things in the world. Yeah. And again, that's something really cool and beautiful from the book that we haven't really gotten to yet. He's just kind of been chauffeur man. Yeah. So, oh well. Uh, Sarah finding a, no, another patient from St. Elizabeth. Uh, this this stuff was a little kind of uh, disjointed to me. The idea that, yeah, they're pouring through all these things, but the way that the, the scenes were written, at least, it's like you had to intuit a lot out of the language of just like okay this is the fourth one that they found someone who was uh sent to saint elizabeth's from the west like they keep finding people from the west that are ending up at saint elizabeth Mm -hmm. so before their criteria i think were 
very slim. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I'm hesitant to to say what I think it was because it might give something away. But they have I, they have some general ideas. Yeah. I don't even think we necessarily had it written out for us per se. We saw her writing the letters of basically just like you know an age range and kind of the profile that they had yeah, dreamed like, up a like little somebody bit. who's disturbed or something but then now with the new information of pick out anybody who's come from the west or something of that sort they've been able to narrow it down a little bit and it looks like a lot of them have been sent to saint josephine's saint elizabeth or saint elizabeth i don't know why i'm saying saint josephine's uh and then Rudolph Bunzel in particular went to uh, Blackwell Island, which is actually now named Roosevelt Island, mm. but after Franklin D. Roosevelt, which happened in the 1970s. God. But uh, interesting nonetheless. This and, part of the, of the story I always thought was really cool because <clears throat> the the idea that this is a this is a time when in the nation that like record keeping was still not such a precise i don't even want to call it a science but you know records probably didn't go back so far you know we're we're still establishing you know major cities out west especially and and official transcripts and that sort of thing so i think it's a lot of fun watching these characters work their way back through that paperwork yeah and it's something that's not uncommon in, in police you know anything any sort of police fiction and i think one of my favorite examples is in seven when detective somerset played by uh uh, Morgan Freeman does all of this research and this crazy amount of work and he does it all in a library and he does it because in his mind like that's police work and Brad Pitt's character is much more concerned about like shaking down people and trying to get information out of humans and Somerset knows like paper yeah. and, and knowledge and things that have been written down and recorded recordings are valuable because that's proof and I love that he goes at it from that angle and it's so fun to watch him during that montage you know what, t- what scene I'm talking yeah, about yeah. yeah in the library Right, and, he, and he knows the guards, so they let him stay after hours. Oh, yep. God, it's so beautiful. It's such a great scene. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I think that's fun with this show, thinking about, like, you know, you could request things from these hospitals, but they might only have records that go back so far because they haven't been around that long yet. Mm-hmm. And they might not keep as detailed of records yet because they're still just, they're still establishing this system. And I might not be giving it enough credit, maybe in 1896, it was a little more advanced than I'm thinking, but you know that was that was a long time ago. I'm sure we've really refined things a lot more. Um, but anyway, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know they could easily hit some dead ends with this avenue, but they they're they're getting some some pings, so it's pretty cool. Uh, and then Cyrus coming home and Laszlo actually apolo- trying to apologize to them. the The fact that the conversation with Cyrus's niece unlocked in him the idea that like he's put them in harm's way but they work for like he has the power over them because he employs them but he just kind of like does not treat them with the respect that a normal human would necessarily be afforded whether through his own ignorance or you know just kind of the fact that he takes their quote-unquote friendships for granted you know yeah i think i said this really early on probably in our first episode or even the primer but there is family like they live in his house yeah they're they're the people that he depends on and i think we see that he can't even play the piano on his own anymore whereas he used to be a prodigy he can't take his boots off yep he can't drive himself around in his carriage like there's a lot he can't do doesn't make dinner 
It's not because he's lazy necessarily, although he does have, you know, he's, he's cut from a different cloth. He's got a lot going on on his mind all the time, but he literally can't do some of those things. And his life is not possible without some of those people. And it it extends beyond employment. And I think it really goes into like a family relationship because they, you know, he, he helped them at a time when they needed help and he was there for them and he had their back and, and in return they have had his back too. But I think in a way like slightly contrary to what the niece said, they, they do kind of owe him in a way, but I would say that that debt is probably repaid, but they stay with him because they do love him. I think they care about him. And I think the scene was really great because like you said, he does try to apologize for a while. He has a hard time. And then he finally does. He just like says it. And it's this moment where it just kind of hangs in the air. And I thought it was really, really great. And Cyrus is quickly like, you, there's nothing to apologize for kind of thing. And I think Stevie, you see it in Stevie's face a little bit of like, well, yeah, that was kind of a messed up thing to make me do. Mm -hmm. But, they like Cyrus's niece I think sees it from the outside she's just of kind of like it's like any relationship you yeah know, if you perceive it as dysfunctional that's what you're gonna think of it but it may work within the context of those people yeah yeah it's not like Cyrus is there you know against his will right or out of some obligation I think he's there because he's he wants to be there i think what might be missing from everyone in this situation's point of view is that laszlo perhaps has never made it clear that they don't have to be there like they they may have started that way where he's like hey to keep you out of prison because that is the original deal with all three of them to keep them out he offers to take them in and make them his wards basically and he kind of gets there with mary in this one where he's like i feel like you know as your doctor basically the time has passed and you are clear and you can leave and he doesn't even really extend that to Cyrus and Stevie, but he just kind of lets them know, like, I am sorry. Like, yeah. If that, if I don't, if I don't value our friendship enough, or if I haven't made it clear that you guys are important to me. Yeah. And, uh, but maybe it has gone unspoken or unsaid that you know you guys don't have to be here anymore. I appreciate your help, and and I will, I would love to have you here, but if you want to leave, you can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's a different time, you know. Stevie's still a kid, yeah. so maybe he can't leave. <laughs> yeah. He's a. Uh, and and Cyrus, you know, who knows what his social standing is right now? Exactly what you know, because he was he was on trial for murder, yep. and um, you know, it's it's different time for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Act Three: John and Laszlo awake in the back of a carriage after being chloroformed and are let out by Captain Connor. They enter an extremely opulent house and then an office filled with Bishop Potter, Chief Burns, and J.P. Morgan. After the bishop and the chief request their investigation desist and an argument starts, J.P. Morgan quiets them, asking Potter and Burns to notify the Van Bergens that Willem is no longer a suspect. Burns gets pissed that Laszlo's investigation will likely continue and he tells Connor that they better not suspect anything of him. Connor asks Doyle to get the Swede and fetch more chloroform. Morgan mentions... uh, it will be best for everyone if their investigation wraps up quickly and that they can use his resources, but Laszlo turns him down to keep the investigation separate and not owe Morgan anything. At Blackwell Island, Sarah looks on in horror as dozens of catatonic women sit in front of her with one asking for help since she isn't crazy. She sees the warden who informs her that they have no one who fit the profile that she requested, but she mentions only at the time. There was someone named Rudolph Bunzel 
who was let go six years ago, but they don't have any records for their male patients on site. Sarah asks why the patients from out west end up at St. Elizabeth's, and the warden mentions it's a government hospital for soldiers and sailors who come back from out west. So, uh, John's comment to the captain about, oh, what happened to your to your uh uniform your uniform <laughs> was enjoyable i think it i think he meant it i guess maybe not it may have been an attack i think it was uh, uh yeah i guess i don't really know like it i think john's the kind of guy where i feel like subtext like that is not in his vocabulary that he just genuinely was like where's your uniform bro lazo's <laughs> <laughs> like laughing kind of like, hey, what? it's messed up <laughs> yeah i forgot to say that it's awesome that John orders the egg cream when he's trying to oh, yeah. uh, recapture the moment. And uh, I really want to try an egg cream, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should go keep, find an egg cream. People keep talking, but I looked up the recipe, actually. We can make it. So I think maybe for the, our series finale recap, we Have should make... Have some chocolate egg cream. We should make a couple of egg creams. <laughs> That's a great idea. All right. Well, f- now it'll never happen because we've talked about it. <laughs> no, I just got a fancy new uh, blender. So maybe I don't know if it requires a blender, but it sounds like it does. Yeah, anyway, I don't know. I got to imagine it's kind of like a malt and I hate malts. So I love malts. Do you really? I do. You know, it's weird. I love malted milk balls. though. Yeah. God, I love Whoppers. But actual genuine malts. I don't know if it's for me. I love them. Maybe we can maybe we can order one up at Ray's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might be able to. Anyway. Um yeah, that was funny. Connor definitely has a giant chip on his shoulder about the whole situation. For sure. Like I said, it's his, in the previous episode, it's his only, it's all he has. Yep. It's his identity is wrapped up in it. Yep. Yeah, he used to be someone who was respected in society. Now he's just a lackey for the... Mm-hmm. Or at least, if not respected, had some power. Yeah, some that's true. That's true. Uh, J.P. Morgan's house, or whatever that was. <laughs> his manor. Yeah, his, his, uh, his complex... So this is a holy shit moment in the book. Like, pardon my language, but... The idea that J.P. Morgan gives a crap about what they're doing. That it's like an unofficial summons that yeah. they've been abducted to speak with J.P. Morgan because the earlier scenes with him, in a way, they kind of devalue this appearance. They tip their hand. Although he's only talking to Roosevelt yeah. in those scenes, really, which makes sense. But... They don't react the way that they should. This is the equivalent. I can't even think of the modern day equivalent of who this is because he was so ridiculously powerful. Yeah. And so extremely rich. Like his fortune back then, if translated into today's dollars, I have no idea what it would be, but I'm sure it's beyond comprehension. Yeah. Especially when you have no peers. Or you have fewer peers. You know, I know there's a documentary series out there, and I think it's on Netflix called The Men Who Built America. It's supposed to be all about guys like this and Vanderbilt and Rockefeller and Ford, maybe even. These people who emerged as true titans of their industries, if not the only people at that top of the pile. I mean, the 1% back then was probably like the 0.01%. Yeah. It's literally a handful of men who wielded this much power. And so in the book, when they do get abducted like this and John is kind of trying to deduce what's going on and he realizes where they are. He like freaks out because he's like, Mm. we are dead meat (laughs) because this is JP Morgan. And if he doesn't like the cut of our jib, when we talk to him, we disappear, we disappear from history. (laughs) (laughs) So I really can't think of a parallel, but anyway, if that doesn't put it into perspective in the book, they're, they're 
their perception of the events like they're in some deep doo-doo um, and I really loved the way the whole scene unfolded because it's not so dissimilar as I recall there are more people there in the book it's more of like a council it's almost like an Illuminati kind of vibe yeah I think it's more than just the three men but it still works just as well well and the revelation that the 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 brain trust of of Connor and Burns at the bar dealing with things being not only kind of a uh, courtesy to the rich but being basically under direct control of JP Morgan is kind of yeah it I mean, certainly complicates things more like the idea that cuz i think uh was Paul Kelly at one of those what do you mean? Like, was he in the bar with Connor and and Burns at oh, one point? Yeah, I think he was. Because the, I guess Connor was in, um, he was in the New Priestess Hall with Kelly and uh, Biff when yeah. when John was there. But the idea that like J.P. Morgan has a tie to the boy prostitution scene yeah i'm i mean who is it that that puts down kelly and calls him a criminal is it burns or is it morgan one of them in this scene says like dealing with those criminals like paul (sighs) kelly i don't think i'm not sure i i think if morgan is tied to that he's not aware of it i think that he he deals with Burns, Burns deals with Connor, and Connor, Connor deals with the scum. But I think Morgan, his hands are effectively clean of it. It can't yeah. be, it can't be traced back. Not to yeah, and I'm not saying like a direct like, you know, he's JP he's, he's taking is, a cut of the of the, the boy yes. houses. No. Yeah. I see what you're saying though. His influence is literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's true. Yeah. It's it's almost like if you're if you were to make like a family tree sort of diagram and it would all trace back. It's kind of like Kingpin if we're going to draw a parallel to like another fiction. Yeah. You know, he's he's everywhere. Even if he's not directly involved, somehow it will relate back to him. Yeah. And if you draw his ire and his attention, he will smite you. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. Yeah. I think it, the inclusion of JP Morgan, who if this needs to be said was a real person, <laughs> uh <laughs> Is it was great in the book. I remember when I first read it, and I I knew who J.P. Morgan was. I was like, oh, that's neat. He he works in a few historical figures, but that that's a big one. Yeah, and uh, you know, as big as, as Theodore Roosevelt, certainly, um, if not bigger in a way. The only thing that kind of um, there's a section there where J.P. Morgan talks about how New York at the turn of the century is poised to be an economic powerhouse and if not the economic center of the world yeah but we need a uh, how does he say it i forgot to a willing workforce is what he says Mm. and that to me like i'm trying to connect the dots of like why does he think their investigation has some bearing on that like it's Almost as though, I guess this is a scar on New York as like, look at these terrible child murders that are occurring. Well, I think, 
And I had this note from earlier, and I forgot to bring it up. So I, what's the point of me even taking these notes if I'm just <laughs> not going to pay attention? The one week I tried to be good, and I'm doing worse than usual. Uh, when Burn is it Burn or Burns? Burns. It is Burns. Okay, I keep saying Burn. When Burns and Connor are talking in the bar earlier, Burns is describing where they uh, where they stand in life, and he talks about how the rich. Uh, uh, elevate them beyond their primordial filth or something like yes. that, a primordial ooze. He says primordial filth. Which yeah. is such a ridiculous <laughs> statement, first of all. It's something that Vigo the Carpathian would say. <laughs> and it's it's so funny because it just, it's so over the top, but he's, Ted Levine sells it so well that that yeah. is what Burns genuinely thinks. And He's a pretty powerful guy, but he even he is like, yeah, I serve the rich people. I'm only here because they brought me. And, and he basically equates them to godhood. And he's like, even though they wear fancy ruffles and have soft hands, they say jump and we say how high. Yeah. And he tells Connor's like, Connor, if you don't get that, then things are not going to go well for you. And I think putting just wealth on that pedestal, I think it's less, I think to, looking at it today and, and maybe this is just by luxury of being from like a middle-class background, but yeah. you don't think of wealth that way. You think of wealthy people as like lucky or hardworking or, you know, whatever, but you don't, you don't think they're gods yeah. because they have, it's not like, it's not like hundreds of years ago. We're like, Oh my God, you have gold. That's yeah. It's not Prometheus <laughs> handing <laughs> exactly. fire to the people. Yes, exactly. To the humans. But, but they still kind of think that. And I think what Morgan is kind of saying in that statement and it, well, my note was before I yet again, I'll talk about it was now we're getting to the class issues. Finally, like we're yeah. really delving into it. And I remember in the prime, I think it was the primer. I said, there's a lot in the book that's very much about like the struggle of immigrants and especially the working class and, and how they're being attacked and targeted and disregarded all the time. And I think Morgan's statement is basically saying we need to have a working class that feel like they're a working class and they don't feel like they're entitled to anything better, let alone like police involvement in crimes. And the only like piece of fiction I can kind of equate it to, and this is like a huge like fork in the road and a deviation, but in Marvel comics, the Inhumans who had a TV show, which I haven't watched, but I've heard is abysmal and I know <laughs> I'll, I'll just watch it one day. Um, but I, I really like the Inhumans as characters, and they—they're all royals essentially. They're like a royal family, yeah. And they are the heroes of the story. But the in Inhuman culture, they have like a slave class. Basically, they're called. Um, oh my gosh, this is a, this is stupid. I can't remember. They're they're called like the something humans. Uh, they're basically they're they're uh, they're their workforce, and they work and like slave, and they're kind of mindless and uh, just drones, and they don't give them the luxury of intelligence or anything like that because they need them to essentially be the working class to keep the engine of society running so the royals can just go on being royals. And that kind of feels like what J.P. Morgan is describing here, that we need this army of mindless just workers that we can put to work in the factories and in the coal mines and on the shipyards to make us better. Yeah. And so I think he's basically the alpha saying that primitives. the alpha primitives, that's yeah, what they're called. Yeah. And there's a lot in the books where they're like, but sir, we can't give the alpha primitives intelligence even because then they'll rebel and they'll take <laughs> away everything we have and they will destroy the fabric of inhuman society. I didn't write the rules. That's just the way it is. And that's kind of the position they take all the time. And it's kind of, it's really gross when you yeah. read it. You're kind of like, ugh. 
Like they were well, really I, I, and I searched for inhuman slave class on Google and the first article that pops up is an, a screen rant one that says the inhuman slave class makes the heroes impossible to root for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's tough because I really like a lot of the inhuman characters. They're really cool characters. And a lot of them are genuine heroes because uh, they do a lot of great things and they save the world or whatever. But at the same time, they have this gross checkered history where you're like, ugh, like, can you root for them really in any good yeah. conscience? So... Inhumans are interesting, but anyway, um, <laughs> certainly more than they were given treatment. Um, so I feel like that, just to kind of draw that parallel, I feel like that's kind of what he's describing, which is really, again, really gross and short-sighted and just inhumane. Um, but I think that's basically what he's saying. And, and by, by in delivering justice to people like this, I think his position is you're making them feel like they're entitled to justice and they're entitled to us to give a shit about what they're going through rather than just saying sorry that's bad luck here's here's fifty dollars for the funeral get back to work rather than say like you are entitled to everything that makes our society work because you aren't part of our society you just want to live here and that's cool but you have to do what we say yeah which is and burns calls connor a mick and i'm like aren't you irish too dude yeah like (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) it's funny and i get that he's now that caught up in it where he's just like we are all part of just this scum. You are the scum right now too. You're the primordial filth because you don't have a badge anymore. I'm I'm slightly above it, but even then, I'm just an, a lieutenant of the filth. Yeah, and you are just a minion right now. And ultimately, we are all minions to these people. And the only reason we're allowed to breathe is because they let us, which is so insane. Yeah, but I'm so glad this episode finally got there. Yeah, finally started digging away at this because it's an important There's part a of lot the book. To chew on there. And it's something that I think you get more of in the book because Moore is thinking it all the time. He's like these poor immigrants, like they, these poor kids. A, they're kids. B, they're immigrant kids. Like they, they just <laughs> they have the shortest uh, end of the stick available. Yeah. And they're getting murdered. <laughs> they can't even have life. No. Anyway, yeah. long rant. But no, that's that's fair. Relief. I was trying to like connect it as to like I don't know. But what's cool is I think. Morgan, when he dismisses those guys, which Ted, Ted Levine, even the way Ted Levine leaves the room is yeah. so funny, though he grabs his hat and doesn't walk all the way over. He just kind of leans and snatches it. Yep. When he dismisses them and he hears them out, you almost kind of, you kind of, you almost kind of get down with J.P. Morgan. You're like, all right, like he's on their side. Sort he's, of. On, he's in on it, but, but he's so bad. He's well, so bad and too. the way that Laszlo walks out of it and is like, he wants to throw his name on it so he can essentially once again be like oh jp morgan allowed these people to find the killer of Mm. these poor children exactly without him what would we do which i think is also his perspective he's like well if we're gonna help them i may as well be involved so they'll think they owe me one and they want to work willingly for me yep yeah he definitely is like laszlo said he's people like him everything to them is perceived as how is it in my best interest not what is the right thing to do? Yeah, and what what favor will exactly. you do for me later? And I love John's line of what could he possibly want from you? And he's like, I have no interest in finding out. <laughs> and and it's very shrewd. And I believe that's the way it goes down in the book too. Um, and I think I think there's a little bit more in the book. Like Morgan's like, you know, if it does go public ever, you can never mention that we met then, kind of thing. And they're yeah. kind of like, yeah, no problem, dude. Like we don't want the we don't want, we don't want the Morgan hit squad know, on us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think it was a really good scene. I think we finally got to use Michael Ironside, who's such a powerful and effective actor. Again, one of these character actors, like he just goes in there and he steps up to the plate and he crushes it. Yep. Um, He had one line that I thought was astounding where he, 
just his line, and I, I'm paraphrasing it. I didn't go bother to go back and rewind it, but he said, asked them, do you know why I collect art? Yeah, I think I might have that here. He... Yeah, no, it's very good. He just... Do you have it written down? I don't think I have the... It was basically him saying, art persuades me to believe that the world is better than I know it to be. Something along those lines. Yeah, he says... Uh, he collects art because it persuades him that the world is a more beautiful place than he knows it to be. Yep, which is whew, so good, and I feel like that's the reason we all collect art. Maybe not, maybe not to make us think the world is better, but to make us think that there is more to the world than we see with our everyday perception. Like we can see into other cultures, we can see into other people's minds, we can see into other people's imaginations, and and dream of maybe other other worlds and other other experiences that we'll never have and yeah. i think that that was such a great line nestled in there and i For just sure. it was just great writing yeah it was a good very good scene and they definitely i don't think they went as far as they could or could have with the the whole reaction to being in the presence of jp morgan but they did a lot with it yeah i thought it was very cool for, yeah, for a dialogue heavy scene and I appreciated Laszlo's willingness to stand toe to toe with Morgan and be like, no. Well, and even tries to liken, he endears himself to Morgan of like, I want to do for psychology yes. what you did for finance. I love that he says that too, where you've turned finance into a science. Yes. It, it was a great way to put it because it is true. Yeah. And I love when he says, I want to do that with the mind and you see Burns roll his eyes. He's kind of <laughs> like, oh, this dork. This quack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sarah at Blackwell Island. Uh, I don't know how much you want to say here. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was it was another piece of the puzzle, I guess. Yeah. She's great. She's doing such a good job as, yeah. as Sarah. Uh, and I think that even the way he kind of like leers at her when she turns around is really good. Like it's just really gross. Yeah. And, and his just like in inability to believe that she works for Roosevelt directly. Mm-hmm. He's like, you work for him directly. Yeah. It, I think that also comes from a place of he doesn't want to tell her anything that doesn't need to be relayed. Yeah. But he's just like, whatever. If she says she works for Roosevelt, and I'm sure she would be the first person to say, call him right now. And Well, and I out. wonder how much of it is the in the, the warden kind of being like, uh, I <coughs> thought he was the warden. I don't know if there was anything that confirmed I think so. that. But yeah. uh, I wondered how much of it was him being like, I don't know how much to tell you because I don't want more attention from roosevelt that's true yeah yeah that's a good point if he's got a little a good little thing going on down there her walking through the the past that row of women in there i don't know what the hell was going on there and i can't even begin to posit a theory other than this is that recreation time you can just sit by the windows social hour (laughs) (laughs) yes that was like my first homecoming dance (laughs) same thing (laughs) sit in a row (laughs) somebody's peed their pants yes oh man that was heartbreaking because the, the, I think the fear of being wrongfully imprisoned exists in everybody and it's easy to so like as she walks by the woman who's all greasy and she's shaking you're like okay she belongs here but then the woman who said that she has you know soiled herself essentially she's clearly nervous like she is affected by this more than the other people and she seems kind of sane and she's like please and like in that moment you're like oh my god 
what on earth do you do? Is, because she's either innocent and sane and doesn't need to be there, or she's so crazy that she's manipulating me on a level that I can't even begin yeah. to, to <laughs> duplicate. Is she there because her husband wants her there? Or like, right. is she oh, there? Yeah. God. And it, could you, I mean, like today it would be bad enough, but at least like there's some outlets into the world you would think or you would hope that our society is far enough along now where something like, something like that wouldn't happen or someone would take up your cause on the outside. But, oh, my God, that woman is doomed. And it is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And you could see it in, in Sarah's eyes, too, that she's like, oh, my God, like mm-hmm. how, yikes, like how do I stay out of this place, basically? Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was one of those things where I basically was just kind of like, how much does she feel like, oh, my God, I could end up in here? Right, like, just because I don't want to get married to a man. They'd be like, oh, you don't want to be married and have babies? You belong in an institution. Yeah. Like any sort of deviant thought could wind you up there. It's just nuts. Yeah. Ugh. So scary. Yes. Uh, on to Act Four. Oh wait, I feel there was something else. Uh, he said he turned. He turned. Oh, he turns around to the idea that it might be a serviceman who was uh, committed. Yes. He says it's an army. Yes. It's essentially an army hospital. Yep. Which is, a, is super important. Yeah. That is that is the uh, that is what she gets out of there. That it is a government hospital. For army men and sailors. Were deemed unfit for duty as she exactly parrots back to John, which is kind of funny. It made yeah. me chuckle. I was like, I'm sure it's not meant to be funny, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, act four, Laszlo informs Mary that he thinks it may be time for her to strike out on her own, filling her eyes with tears and causing her to storm off. John arrives home to find Sarah, uh, Sarah with the information that the killer is a soldier from St. Elizabeth's Mental Institution and he wants to leave immediately to tell Laszlo but she resists and all but reveals that Laszlo hurt her and she hugs John tightly when he asks about it. Laszlo discovers Ezra in the study playing with the Arkansas toothpick and he quickly takes it away from him. He realizes Ezra can't sleep, so they go to feed Laszlo's monkey and put him to bed. John comes in and Laszlo sends Ezra to bed once again. John probes Laszlo to find out what he did to Sarah, but Laszlo wonders why John really came. John explains that Sarah's new clue... uh, John explains Sarah's new clue, but continues to press, only to have Lazo explain that she wanted to discuss private matters that he wouldn't even discuss with John. Lazo remarks that John will always be handsome but indolent to Sarah, while John warns Lazo that he needs to be careful, careful or he'll end up a lonely old man. So, the Lazo and Mary stuff, uh, that moment... I was just kind of like, what the hell are you doing, Laszlo? But we can come back to that later. Obviously, there's more to talk about with them. Unless you had something in particular about that scene. Those damn shoes. I know. I was wondering, actually, as I was walking in here today, uh, I was like, why does he wear those? Yeah. And then I realized they must be a status symbol. It must be a thing of, like, I have money. Because I'm pretty Probably. sure. But John's rich, too. And John wears, I feel like he wears just regular shoes. Like, he just wears, we see him getting his shoes shined. And I'm pretty sure they're just, like, regular, like, yeah, like, like Oxford-style shoes up. or yeah. something. Yeah. I don't know. I guess he wouldn't be any good at tying shoes, either, though. Maybe the, I don't know. No. They've got, they, no they've got to be, like, the latest fashion. Or maybe they're more European-influenced. And, and so there's something he's used to from his childhood. Yeah. I'm sure. If there are any uh, shoe experts out there or cobblers or. Yes. What do you know about shoes that require button hooks to put on and yeah what that where what that have may have from. meant i feel like there's an important detail there why he refuses to to you know just wear some slippers yeah uh 
No, I, th- I think in, I think in his mind that's that's his way of telling Mary you're free. <laughs> well, and I think yeah, I think it springs from earlier conversations of like what am I doing this doing to this person by keeping them here. I think it's also he can't work through his feelings for her, so I think in his mind it's easier just to like I want to simplify the situation. Cut her loose. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, for sure. Which is stupid. And man, Koryanka Kilcher is just killing it. Yeah. She is so awesome. She's nothing like I imagined Mary to be, but she is just fantastic. I realized that uh, today when I used to read it, I pictured, um, oh, shoot, I had her name in my mind. She is the the star of Equilibrium opposite Christian Barrel, or Christian Barrel, Christian Bale, <laughs> um, and she's in Red Dragon. Uh, I think it's Emily, Emily Watson. Yeah. She is the woman who I, I pictured Mary to look like her when I was reading it. I pictured like this very pale, like kind of English woman and yeah. uh, Koryanka Kilcher is much different looking but I think she's perfect her performance is so good the only other thing that I'll say about the scene is that I don't really know like with the with the temper tantrums that she had I wouldn't necessarily think in Lazo's position that like yes she's okay too I think they're like, so I feel f- like she's <laughs> like I feel five five storm outs away from lighting <laughs> him on fi- on fire I I feel bad, but I think they're so funny because they're so blunt. They're yeah. just like, she can't speak. She signs to him from time to time, but I love the way she just stands up and then just whips the shoe on the ground. They're just really funny because they're so aggressive and they're very yeah. like, damn it, Laszlo. Like, why are you acting like such a dick? Like, they're very, they are a little immature. They're almost a little more like the way Stevie would react to a situation. Yeah. But... I don't know. There's something about it that feels appropriate because she's not going to sign. I'm, I do wish she signed with him a little bit more. I wish we we saw that he could. He, he understands. He could. Yeah, yeah he understand. Com- sign they language. can communicate. Yes, because exactly. it feels like so much of her pent up anger could be because she doesn't know how to reach him. Like she doesn't. Like she has a communication barrier with yeah. him rather than a a maybe a developmental or some right. other type of And barrier. I wish that if that were the case, it were explained. Yeah. But I feel like he, it's very reasonable to think a man of his intelligence and and, and learnedness would uh, would know sign language and yeah. it would be fine because it's been essential for his relationship with her. And I mean, even like John, I think knows a little bit of it just from like dealing with her. He knows like just the common phrases and then, the, you know, the hellos and thank yous and you're welcome and, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like Laszlo's got to know a little bit more and maybe not. Maybe that barrier does exist. It's something I never considered. So yeah. maybe that's a, a little defect in, in my perception of it just uh, from reading the book. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, John and Sarah. Sarah hugs John. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I think her allowing a little bit of vulnerability was kind of nice. Even if John's kind of a buffoon. Um, it's after this where Laszlo tells him that, right? About him, her only ever thinking he'll be handsome and, and, and indolent. Yeah. Okay, it's after, so, okay, so it's after that. Yeah, I think it's cool that she... I think she's beginning to understand maybe that John asking her, like, oh, are you okay? He's not doing it because he's condescending her. He genuinely wants to know if she's okay because yeah. I think he's like, oh, that must have been horrible. Like... He knows from visiting some of these places with Laszlo that it's not fun. <laughs> it's not for anybody, let alone, you know, everybody. Yeah. So I think that I, I'm glad that she didn't kind of like 
you know, her spines didn't come out at that and be like, what do you mean? Like, am I okay? Of course yeah. I'm okay. Like I can handle it. I think that it was, it was cool that they, they have this moment of like, he genuinely is like, Oh my, are you all right? Because yeah, we're in the past. She's kind of like told Laszlo a little bit of like, of course I'm fine. Or, you know, I exactly. was raised better than that. Or like I, I can stomach this thing or that she actually kind of, uh, well, there was a very, there was a, a moment here that, and she doesn't tell John about it, but, it's very specifically would affect her. I mean, seeing this row of women in there. Yeah. And who knows their story? Yeah. I think that's, that is something that would affect her more than them. Mm -hmm. And for once it's something that is very much hers and, and a, a pain that is magnified. And, uh, I think that her reaction to it, I mean, she does say like, yes, I'm fine, but you can tell there's, he even, I think, kind of picks up on it. Like, okay, she had a hard, she had a really rough experience. Here. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice that he just doesn't, he just hugs her. And he's like, maybe that'll help. He doesn't bother to, like, talk her out of it. And he's like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Or he doesn't try to, to mansplain the situation for her. <laughs> he just accepts, like, this is what you need right now. I'm going to help you out. Like, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. I think for once, I'm finally starting to buy into the idea that they might like each other. Whereas before, it's always felt really forced or, like, unbelievable. Yeah. It it feels like they they have some relationship finally. Yeah. There was part of me looking at her expression as she hugs him. I think it's probably meant to be like, a, oh, this is nicer than I thought it would be. Yeah, maybe. But I was also kind of wondering a little bit if it was her seizing on the opportunity a little bit of like, a, this is my chance to make a connection with hmm. this man. Yeah, perhaps in a in a somewhat real way, you know, mm -hmm. like I I could use I I am vulnerable right now, or I do feel as though I could use this comfort, but also like a oh, you know, I can further this relationship in some way. But I don't know. That might just be my own projection <laughs> or something. <laughs> we all just want to. We all just want to hug from Luke That's Evans. True. Just like, hey yeah. man, I had a hard day. Yeah. If I could get a hug from Luke Evans. <laughs> uh, Who is also a great Twitter follow, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Twitter recommendations. Yes, yes. I have the Twitter recommendation corner going. Yes. I've got lots more. Ezra playing with the knife. I thought that could have turned out worse. <laughs> I thought we were in for something very different. Yeah. Than we got. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. And I was relieved. Monkey feeding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Does Lazo have a monkey in the book? Uh, you know, probably. I don't know. But I think there's also a bit of a metaphor there. Uh, he probably had... You see, the thing is, like, everything in the show happens at Laszlo's Institute. And it's hard to tell, like... Yeah, we finally... We finally... Yes. Finally get some connective tissue <laughs> that confirms that it's at the Institute. We are able to reverse engineer the... Ezra, why did you take a collage over to the Institute? <laughs> How did you over, steal over to the you stole my horse and <laughs> rode it to the institute yeah exactly i know it's it's so weird i don't know why they didn't go i, I assume it's just easier because you've already yeah. got the location so just keep working there rather than but build a set yeah. just build a set <laughs> yeah, of the damn hard. apartment i just don't get it it's yeah. so badass in the book that they have this spot where they this is where they do everything anyway um Yes, I thought something much darker was going to happen here, but that's fine. It worked out well. Uh, I did like this because I think 
this is kind of we saw a side of Laszlo that I've been talking about for a yeah. while where he he's really good with kids and he's he's kind of good at connecting with them and and seeing that even if something is really wrong he's able to kind of help them just be at ease and yeah. he's like oh why don't we go hang out with my monkey it's the first time we actually get like a positive interaction with him with the child not i mean his his previous interaction with Ezra was hey kick this ball and imagine it's your mother well, we're watching Which, we're watching him nurture something yes. rather than just like either dissect it or dismiss it. Yeah. He's being very like caring yeah. and, and and helping somebody cope in a way that we would we we have literally only seen him do with children mm-hmm. at this point. Which so. I think is great. It's very yeah. it's very important. We still haven't really come around to that. But um yeah, the monkey thing is funny because I think there's the there's an expression that an addiction or a problem is like the monkey on your shoulder mm. that's always there. And if you feed the monkey on your back, you're just playing into your addiction. Yeah. And I think there's something funny about that they're feeding a monkey. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said there. I haven't quite worked it out yet, but um, I kind of feel like that that's there for a reason. Yeah. I thought it was just a fun moment also. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're just laughing together and it's something as simple as like, hey man, let's just chill with my monkey and yeah. you can feed him some, <laughs> some snacks and, and we'll, we'll both just kind of laugh about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and him by kind of saying like, okay, the monkey needs bedtime too. Obviously you do too. So yeah. Hit the hay, Junior. Yep. Uh, John and Laszlo. I really like that John didn't just barge in there and start yelling at him. He saw that there was something happening, and I think he even recognized like this is Lazlo's profession. I probably shouldn't. He was he was I like, oh, cause a scene am I right interrupting? Yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. And I like that they treat him. They treat Ezra like he's an adult. He's like John. This is Ezra. Ezra. And he's like, hello, Ezra. And they don't treat him like he's a little kid. He doesn't you know kneel down and go, oh, oh, hey, little buddy. <laughs> just, Would you like an egg cream? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls one out of his <laughs> pocket. I didn't drink this one earlier. Yeah, exactly. I was I was snuffed with chloroform before I could finish it. I didn't talk about how creepy and terrible it was that the dude with the egg cream didn't even bother. He just keeps polishing his mug. That impression of him you did with, with your face was really good. <laughs> Now I want you to shave your beard except for the mustache. <laughs> just, you know, get that uh, get that, get that walrus, that walrus yeah. and the carpenter mustache. Uh, yeah, that was really funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> <coughs> back to back to John. And back Lazlo. to the heavy scene. Yes. Uh, yeah, man, Laszlo, he can just be a douche with just the flick of a switch. And I feel like this is. I don't know. Oh, you can maybe call me on it, but I feel like this is the. F- first time we see him actually playing coy you not mean, like I, we've seen laszlo try to manipulate people and everything like that but for him to straight up lie to john of like i don't know what you're even talking about it's bad because yeah. i mean obviously what he did is really bad but because he's not yet even acknowledging it and not to the only person who's really his friend outside of the people in his household someone who chooses to come hang out with him every day like the fact that he can't be straight up with him or won't, or he won't just say like, Hey, yes, I did something really bad and I feel terrible. Yeah, exactly. I feel really terrible about it. And I didn't mean to disrespect Sarah that way. Instead, he just lies. And Mm -hmm. then when John's like, Hey man, like I know what happened. No, you did something. She told me you did something bad and you hurt her in some way. And then he just throws it back in his face and is like, well, she doesn't care about you anyway. Yeah, She never will. He just wounds him and he, and he hits him right where he knows it'll hurt. 
he's obviously very sensitive about how the women in his life perceive him, yeah. especially his romantic interests. So it's pretty... But wh- what I like is that John doesn't let it affect him too much. He does. You can tell he's hurt by it because the yeah. possibility that Laszlo is right will always exist because even if Laszlo is an asshole, it doesn't mean he's wrong. Mm-hmm. He's very smart and he's very perceptive and he this is what he does. And so I think it does wound him, but I think he very quickly is like, you better be careful because your fate is going to be worse than uh, than anyone else's because you're going to end up sad you're pushing and everybody away. Exactly. You refuse to just be chill. Yeah. And care. Yeah. It was uh it's heavy and I think that you know we've kind of seen this moment with the two of them already with the boot and even earlier when he's kind of like why do you seek the company of strangers like in the time when he asked about her dad and she stormed out and then John wasn't far behind her. Like, this is the third time or so it feels like we've had this moment. So I'm kind of like ready to move. Is there going to be a breaking point yes. or not? Can we get some resolution one way or the other? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Act five. John's drunk watching a bar boxing match as he spots Captain Connor across the room. Connor baits him out of the bar and into an alley to get the jump on him and attempts to intimidate him into stopping the investigation. But John doesn't back down. So Connor knocks him out. Laszlo sits waiting for dinner. When Mary comes in, he invites her to finally share a meal with him. She leaves, and he looks dejected, but she returns after a quick beat with a place setting. She goes to sit at the opposite end of the table from him, but he calls her closer. He grabs her hand, and she reciprocates, and they share tender moments until Laszlo stands, and they finally kiss. Now (laughs) kiss. Yes. Uh, Part of me wishes these were reversed. I feel like the bigger cliffhanger is Connor knocking out John. I see what you're saying, but I feel like that would end too much like episode two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with John in the brothel. Yeah, like if every episode ends with John getting knocked out, that would be really funny. (laughs) Oh, that's great. You reinforced my position. A super cut of John just like (laughs) every episode he's waking up. Damn it! <laughs> Not again. It's like Groundhog Day. He just keeps waking up the next day, and they're just all surrounding him every day. Damn it, John. What now? And he's like, ugh. And just throwing up. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. I feel like there's we we have invented so much fan fiction of just yeah, poking just fun at people, John. Yeah, I just want a show that makes fun of John the entire John just time. playing the drum set on the roof and all these just over-the-top moments. All the, the carton of cigarettes in his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a fun character because he is that kind of lovable doofus. He's not. And the thing is, he's not stupid. He just is like. He he's just, a man of average intelligence. He's yeah, he's an average guy, but he's also just kind of caught up in his own thing. Where he's, yep. he's you know, he is he is good natured and good hearted. Like, even if you were to say like, oh, he's a bad guy because he gambles and he drinks and he and he carouses. He still is like he has a good heart. And yeah. he wants he what's best for people. Certainly means well. Mm-hmm. He cares about the he actually cares about the children. Yeah, so he's a fun character to kind of poke fun at because he is sometimes <laughs> kind of dopey. Like the, the repeated striking of the match is so funny. Yeah. It's like such a great beat. And just Marcus, hey, hey man. Seriously? <laughs> How many times now? The I will say I was really bummed he was drinking again. I was like, God, that is sad. Again. And Luke Evans was doing his. I feel like he was really doing his best Joel Edgerton impression in that scene because <laughs> the way, the way whoever he whoever he put money on, it was somebody named like yeah. like Lucky or somewhere. The way he shot, it, he's like, get him, knock him out. It was like very Joel Edgerton, <laughs> and it made me laugh because I was like, I feel like he's totally playing up that that angle. Um, but yeah, watching him dr- drink is sad because you you realize that for someone who is an alcoholic 
to turn back, something has to have happened to make them say like, well, the only thing that makes me feel good is alcohol. So here yeah. I go is, is drinking and gambling on dudes beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. I forgot to mention when JP Morgan pours the drink for him and Laszlo and then he offers a lemonade to, mm. to, to, yeah. John, he like he's clear. He was clearly watching. J.P. Morgan soaks in more than anybody realizes. That's that's he a does. very. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. And the way he's kind of like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want that? Why would I want a child's drink? <laughs> One egg cream, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, Stick to my egg cream, thank you. <laughs> Pulls it out of his pocket. <laughs> John just has an infinite stash of egg cream somewhere. Got the trench coat. Yeah, they're they're like, like six yeah, eight yeah, creams exactly. on there. And they're Laszlo and Morgan are talking in the background. You just hear like straw slurping, and John's <laughs> just standing there looking at the art. <laughs> it's a very nice painting you've got, Mister Morgan. Oh man. Oh John. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We'll the, see where that goes. I really liked this like gross like fighting situation that they had going on and i couldn't figure out the structure of it because there's two guys fighting and then like one beats the other one and then another guy jumps in and i was like it's just like royal rumble they're yeah. just like fight until you can't anymore and then someone <laughs> else is gonna hop in like it's just kind of crazy yeah but i like that i don't know if connor was there genuinely because he's like or this he, is what i do or if he's trying to lure john out. I th- yeah i thought he was baiting john i think that was just Maybe. kind of a he had been tailing him and yeah. ended up in there with him but uh it's yeah. funny is john's dumb enough to go after him he's like well yeah. let's see connor's out there he's pissed he doesn't have a uniform so he's gone rogue i'm wasted in the back alleys and i'm rich so yeah i'll go after him by myself <laughs> let me drink this last shot though. <laughs> <laughs> i paid for this uh yeah maybe he was just drinking egg cream that's maybe possible those are just egg yeah, creams yeah maybe he just really loves egg cream <laughs> barkeep another egg cream maybe egg, maybe egg creams are like very uh they they they're just a bit he's spiking egg cream <laughs> put a little flask in the egg cream <laughs> uh anyway yeah yeah so connor gets pissed he again connor so connor has a real problem with sodomites in his uh, oh yeah he's got a real problem with pretty much everybody really he's probably actually gay yeah could be like it might be one of those situations where he's so self loathing yeah. that he's projecting it onto other people but could be it's definitely like it's kind of sad because I feel like uh, I've said this before. You kind of kind of root for Connor in some weird way, and then when he does shit like this, you're like, "Ugh, come on, man! Yeah, what are you doing? You should skip town, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just get out. Get out. Uh, and then Laszlo and Mary. Uh-huh. Uh I like when he mansplains the song that's on tour, and she's like, "I know that already. Mm-hmm. That was good." And he's kind of like, "Of course, you know." Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good because he's defaulting to what he knows to do in conversation, which is just talk about the things that you know. So like, oh, this is so Wagner's whatever. Yeah. And, you know, those are the things he's used to using on other people. Yeah. Oh, Patria Mia from Aida is the song. That's and, and she's, I think he might be used to people even if they know just being like, oh, lovely. Thank yeah. you, Laszlo, for that insight. You're so learned. And then Mary's just like, yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> I put that record you, on. You dude. play this every day. <laughs> I'm the one who put that on there. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I again, her portrayal of Mary is so good. Mm-hmm. I I did have the only note I really had for this scene was um, when he invites her back and she sits and he's like, oh, you know, come sit closer and he chooses the spot right next to him. Yeah, she is so adorable because she's 
she's trying really hard not to smile. Like, yeah. She has this very like, <laughs> she's so excited and she's just so happy yeah. that she gets to just be with him. Yep. And like, man, you are such a knucklehead if you don't understand how much this woman loves you. Yep. And why she even does. She can't talk and I know she loves you. Yeah, yeah. it's remarkable. <laughs> and she just, uh, she's so good. Like yeah. watching that, her try to fight that, or that smile was, uh, was just terrific. Yeah. Um, I actually think the way this, the tension was palpable and it was so effective and I feel like it's so easy to push like romantic tension and I don't even think it's just sexual tension. It's there, but I think it's romantic tension. It's so easy to push it into the realm of like parody or stupidity where it comes across dumb, but I think that they did it, they shot it and it was performed so well. Yeah. Even just how slow everything is when they when he finally stands up and and everything, it's just it felt so real. Mm-hmm. The tension, I, I was like, man, this is fantastic. Like, yeah. I feel, I feel like I'm in both of their shoes at the same time. Where they're just like, oh my god, the anticipation of just, uh, just a kiss is so crazy. Yeah, and it, that is terrific. I think that's such an achievement. That's that's almost better than making like a a, a murder scene convincing enough. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because that's so genuine. And we've to we've, be able to capture that flutter of like yes that moment that literally everybody on earth has had at some point in their lives yeah. like we all have been there and it immediately made me like remember that feeling the of butterflies like, oh yep. my god oh my god i'm going in i'm going in for the kids here we go mm-hmm. like, it was just uh it was magnificent it was so well done yep. i never thought that in the alienist series i would be like praising <laughs> a a scene between mary and laszlo like this but uh it's fantastic yeah you don't get you don't really get anything like that in the book. It's not Yeah, I think I asked you last week and you mentioned that it wasn't really a focus. Yeah, so here's se. the thing like uh, Mary and Laszlo the it does it does sort of happen, but you don't really find out until like it's almost like kind of a twist. Okay. It actually is a twist. Okay. So I guess <sighs> Do I really want to talk about this? It's not going to ruin anything for the show, but if anybody's reading, yeah. the, if anyone's reading for the, if anyone's reading right now, I don't want to talk about it. I guess we'll talk about it later. Well, yeah, we'll have right, to. We'll add it to the list. Let's put a like a book spoiler section in the in the season wrap up. <clears throat> okay. Of like a, we'll stop here, talk about the book a little bit for people who have not read it yet. Come back later, but we'll I, we'll have that. Okay. But I thought it was very, it was really great. It yeah. Was well done. Yeah, for sure. I think it was kind of a nice a nice cliffhanger to end the episode on something that's something fair nice for yeah us. yeah uh I did, it just I did felt have, it, it having stars just in my notes breathes heavily because there was lots of like <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah exactly I thought of you right away because I was like Alex is gonna do his weird heavy breath uh it just felt strange to me to leave John as the cliffhanger but not i don't know it felt like there could have been more time to come back to that it was cuz it was weird nicole and i were watching and the episode ended she's like wait that was it and i was like yeah apparently and it just felt i don't know it's just kind of a strange pacing thing. i think we're getting used to john spending more time in the show unconscious than conscious <laughs> that at this point they're like whatever they know he'll be fine he'll wake yeah. up in the next episode he's not dead yeah. he's not going to shoot him in the face and leave him there like 
We're going to find out what happened in the next episode. So, I mean, he already got abducted and brought to JP Morgan. Like what else can happen? (laughs) Although Connor is acting off the reservation at this point. So he's, he's kind of going a little, Connor's trying to cover his tracks. Exactly. Which is weird because why are you going after more? Like he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. I don't think they understand or realize. Right. I don't think they're even suspicious. Connor was kind of projecting on them. I think he was like, Oh, they know something. Yeah. Burns was like, you better pray they don't. And then like, that's it. And you're like, well, it's like it's not like Roosevelt is asking this team to figure out what happened to Willem too, you know? right? Like, yeah, and and Morgan like made it clear, like, okay, Willem is not a suspect. Tell the family we're going to move on from that, and Laszlo is going to proceed with this investigation. But now they have full knowledge that I am watching them. I have yeah. eyes and ears everywhere, and if they start to tie it back into the four hundred, I'm going to come for them. Yep, and. You know, all all John, I, I genuinely think all John asks is like, why aren't you wearing your uniform, bro? I've never seen you in clothes. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, just making an offhand remark without realizing that like, this guy is, is on a hair trigger at all times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure Connor's like, oh, they suspect something and Burns like, maybe not. Yeah. I just don't think they care. Like, I think they probably think, oh, Roosevelt finally sacked your ass. Good. And that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is it for now. Uh, once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on TV. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. You can email us at feedback at TV to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show, send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and uh, AMC's Preacher. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is The Song Division by Kevin MacLeod, and it is being used under an attribution, attribution Creative Commons license. And that's all for this episode of The Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what's on next week's episode of The Alienist, but until then, we'll see you at the chalkboard.